0: Now, the second sermon on these verses, we won't, uh, let me say again, be spending so much time on on every set of verses. But the first two verses uh, are are foundational for everything that follows, beginning in verse three through chapter uh, 15, at least, where we have uh, the detailed instructions of Christian living. So the second of uh, many sermons on these two verses Uh, Hear God's word. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies, a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. And let us pray together. Holy Father in heaven, we thank you once more for your word and we ask you that now by the preaching you might open it up to us uh, with a new understanding and even with fresh power. Help us, oh God, to understand what it is you are telling us in your word. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, last time we began to consider uh, the teaching uh, that begins here. I beseech you, therefore, brethren and, and there. Uh, What Paul is beseeching us to do is to live the Christian life, therefore, that is on the basis of the teaching. The teaching has been given, therefore, now I beseech you, and I am beseeching you along with Paul, I am beseeching you to live like this, to take these doctrines and to put them into practice, to live in light of the many mercies of God. By the mercies of God, I beseech you, live like this. And then uh, seeing that uh, still in the first sermon, seeing that being what we have here, we began to consider the first phrase, and that is that we are to present our bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God. We are to place, as it were, and this is a metaphor, obviously, it's a spiritual picture, but we are to Take our lives and our bodies and we are to place them on the altar of praise. That is uh, how we sacrifice, or excuse me, that is how we praise God in the new covenant. It is with ourselves. Not with the animal we place upon the altar as the priest did in the old covenant, but with ourselves. Use your bodies in the service of God. But now we come to the most interesting phrase. And that is, which is your reasonable service? Use your bodies in the service of God. Because or which this is uh, which is your reasonable service. Now, to give you some sense of the outline I'm following in these sermons, there will be four, maybe five. This is the second, obviously, our reasonable service. The third would be uh do not be conformed to the world and why that is necessary for the Christian. And lastly, or perhaps not lastly, but uh, the idea of being transformed by the renewing of your mind, possibly, although uh, looking more likely uh, the more I study, a fifth sermon on the will of God, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So four, maybe five sermons. We're at, we're at number two. The picture once more is that we uh, as Christians, are to present our bodies to God as a living sacrifice on the altar of praise, holy and acceptable, without a blemish or spot, as the sacrifices of the old covenant were to be offered, And it is this action, Paul is saying, that is your reasonable service. Now, you ask me, how, uh, Pastor, could you possibly preach a sermon on two words? Reasonable service. Well, I'm going to tell you, But uh, I would also remind you, you may or may not have known this, that there was an entire uh, four-volume work published in 1700 by Brackle entitled The Christian's Reasonable Service. And I would say compared to that, one sermon is nothing. Well, let's look at the phrase reasonable service and do a a bit of exegesis, let's call it. We need to understand just exactly what is being said here just exactly what Paul means when he says this. The two words uh, used in the Greek are logikane uh, and latreon, Reasonable service. That's how they're translated in uh, the New King James. Uh, as well as in the King James. So let's call that the older traditional translations uh, translation. The newer translation you will find uh, such as in the ESV, is rendered uh, just the first word, by the way. We're just looking at that to begin with. It's rendered spiritual, spiritual in the ESV. Now, that's very interesting because it captures the idea uh, very well, but it's really not what you find in the Greek. The word that you find in the Greek has to do with the rational, the logical, Faculty of the mind. In fact, I noted this in Sunday school uh, in the footnote, at least of my Bible. It has the word rational for reasonable. The rational, the logical faculty of the mind. In fact, it could be rendered logical, which is your logical service. Uh, Another example of where this word is used again in the context of worship and living the Christian life as a kind of worship and service to God is 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 2, where uh, we read, it's a familiar passage, uh, as newborn babes, this is the New King James, desire the pure milk of the word. Of the word is that word uh, translated reasonable here. The ESV translates it differently. He translates, it, or it translates the word in the New King James as spiritual, so that it reads, as newborn babes, long for the pure spiritual milk. Spiritual the pure spiritual milk. Now, what is translated the word in the New King James and spiritual in the ESV is the same word we have in Romans chapter 12, verse 1. And so in that verse, I would say that the ESV is closer to being right, but once again, it uses the word spiritual instead of reasonable or rational or logical, which is technically more accurate. Now, one thing that I hope to argue ...is that our reasonable service, whether uh, in Romans 12 or 1 Corinthians, or excuse me, 1 Peter, our reasonable service is spiritual service. And so I'm still very happy with that rendering in either verse, 1 Peter 2 or Romans chapter 12. But it still misses the actual literal meaning. And it would be well if we began there before we see how we arrive at the word spiritual. If we look at what Peter is really saying... We'll go with the ESV, long for the spiritual milk, the pure spiritual milk. What, what Peter is really actually saying is something more like, long for the reasonable, sincere milk. Or as Mart Lloyd-Jones translates it, long for that, as newborn babes, long for that milk which nourishes the mind, rational milk. That doesn't sound as beautiful, does it? When you're translating it, maybe you can understand why they chose something else. But, but we need to be clear that this is actually the word. And again, we're helped with the footnote, at least in Romans 12, verse 1. And so on balance, let us see that reasonable is a good word to translate what is meant here, rational, logical, the faculty of the mind. It's also a beautiful word, and so we can be happy with it as a translation for that reason as well. Though, again, let me state that I'm also happy with the SV's rendering of spiritual. The reasonable is better. Now, come to the second word, which has been translated in the historical translations, service, your reasonable service, but which we, you will find in the SV, is worship. So what is reasonable service in the King James and the New King James is spiritual worship in The ESV now here, uh, service or worship, I would argue both translations are equally good because what Paul is really talking about is worship, worship or service, which includes the life and which is reasonable, given God's many mercies to us. So then what Paul is saying is this in verse one of chapter 12. We are to present our bodies unto God, not in an unthinking, irrational way, but in a rational and a logical way. John Murray's comments on this were very helpful to me. He says the service here in view is worshipful service and the apostle characterizes it as rational because it is worship that derives its character as acceptable to God from the fact that it enlists our mind, our reason, our intellect. It is rational in contrast with what is mechanical. Worship that enlists the mind. Worship which is rational, not. Worship which is unthinking and mechanical. That is the contrast in view. Worship, we could say, which is not formal or external, but which is thoughtful and reasonable and intelligent. Worship, which is opposed self-consciously to the externalism and ceremonialism that is the hallmark of every kind of false worship. Even that which the Jews were guilty of in the old covenant. And so spiritual worship, it turns out, is Is still an excellent translation because it captures the idea very well. Spiritual worship in contrast to externalism or ceremonialism or mechanical worship. True worship is not those things, it's not mechanical, it's not unthinking. True worship, Paul is saying, is rational, it's spiritual, it arises from something inward. Let us come to the next question, and that is, what makes our service or our worship to God reasonable? And I have many answers here. One thing that makes worship reasonable is simply that it's offered to God. It's not reasonable to try to worship in any other way. Worship that is offered to God is reasonable worship. In other words, if we understand the argument that Paul is making, making here, given God's many mercies to you in the gospel... Is not serving him the most reasonable thing you could do? Isn't that logical? Are you you thinking this through, the gospel? When you think the gospel through, you will realize the most reasonable thing you can do, the most logical thing you can do is to serve him and to live for him. And when you begin to do the opposite, what you're really doing, you're saying, well, I believe the gospel, now I'm living for myself. What you're really doing or what you're not doing is thinking. You've stopped thinking. You've turned off your mind. You haven't carried the thought through. What you're doing is eminently unreasonable. There is nothing more unreasonable than that God should save you as a sinner and that you should then live for yourself in the service of sin. That's the most unreasonable thing you could ever do. Whereas the most reasonable thing you could do is now to live for him and to enlist all that you have and all that you are uh, all that you have and all that you are in his service. The Apostle Paul says this. Now, I said I was going to quote this in Sunday School. Let me do so now. 1 Corinthians 6. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? You don't belong to yourself anymore. And again, he's talking about the body just as he is in Romans 12. Keep on listening. Verse, that's verse 15, verse 18. Flee sexual immorality. Every sin that a man does outside the body. Uh, That that a man does outside the body. But he who commits sexual immorality. Sins against his own body. Or do you not uh, not know. Again. Have you stopped thinking. Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. Who is in you. Whom you have from God. And you are not your own. For you were bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body. And in your spirit. Which are God's. And so we belong to him. That's the starting point of the Christian life. Indeed. Indeed. Uh, I'm going to end with that thought as well, I think, in this sermon. The most reasonable, the most rational thing a Christian could do is to live for God. Number two, what's reasonable worship? Well, reasonable worship is worship which God has prescribed. Not which man has prescribed, but which God has prescribed. In other words, here's the reasonable thing to realize as Christians. It's to realize that God is most pleased. In fact, he's only pleased with the things that he's asked for from us. He really isn't asking us what we think is reasonable. He's telling us. And the reasonable thing to do is to listen. And we see in the whole of the Old Testament how this was a long-standing battle. They were constantly saying, Lord, this is how we're going to worship you. We see it already uh, with the golden calf incident. They didn't get very far, did they? They began uh, to, to come up with their own ideas. That isn't reasonable. This is, I think... Not only the greatest folly that we can commit, but I I think it is fair to say that from the standpoint of the Old Testament and then we see it in the New Testament and all through the history of the church, it's the most common fallacy, the most common folly. We say, God, I'm going to live for you. And then we begin to make our own suggestions. And we begin to listen to others rather than to God. Do you see, beloved, that that's unreasonable? And do you understand why that's unreasonable? Do you understand that you've turned off your mind when you do that? You're not really thinking things through. You've become irrational and unthinking when you suggest that God is pleased with things he never prescribed and things that he never asked for from us. And so, now I think I already said this, but let me, let me give you a quote. I said it in my own words, but let me, let me give you the quote uh, from this book, which I love and have commended uh, to so many of you. Uh, worship reformed according to scripture. All old? He says in the introduction... Only the worship that God asks of us really serves him. And he was, in essence, quoting uh, the reformer Martin Bucer. And, of course, that idea became the basis of what we now call the regulative principle of worship. Only the worship that God asks of us really serves him. And I actually want to read one more thing he says There it is. I lost it, but I found it. Christian worship should be simple and without pompous ritual and sumptuous ceremony. I I like that very much as well. That's reasonable worship. Number three. By the way, regulative principle of worship. If you don't know what that means, that means worship according to scripture. Number three. I've already been saying this, but let me be more explicit. It is reasonable... To use our bodies in a thinking rather than an unthinking manner. Now what am I talking about? Well I'm talking about what Paul was talking about in First Timothy chapter 4. Where these false teachers who were promoting the doctrine of demons were saying uh, do not handle, do not touch, do not taste. That's Colossians, we'll get there in a moment. They were saying do not marry. They were forbidding marriage. They were telling people to abstain from foods. And by the way, doesn't that sound familiar? Well yes, uh, that doctrine became uh, the doctrine of the Roman Catholic Church and some of their vows, vows of celibacy, vows of fasting, and so on. The Apostle Paul was contending against this. He's saying, That isn't a reasonable use of the body. It isn't something God ever asked of you. You're, again, you're not thinking. You're not thinking through what the gospel actually means for your life when you conclude that Jesus Christ died for me, therefore I'm going to abstain from marriage. Jesus Christ died for me, therefore I'm not going to eat food or meat or drink or whatever. No, you've missed the point. Don't you realize if you think through the point that because Christ died for me, I'm now able to enjoy these things with a newfound freedom and a newfound gratitude. That's the teaching of the New Testament. And yet you see that Paul was contending against them, uh, the, the opponents of the gospel, in the way that they were prescribing regulations for the body and promoting a kind of asceticism, we call it. We find the same thing in Colossians chapter 2, verse 16. He says, let no one judge you in food or in drink or regarding a festival or a new moon or Sabbaths. Going on to verses 20 through 23. Therefore, if you died with Christ from the basic principles of the world, why is the living in the world? Do you subject yourself to regulations? Do not touch, do not taste, do not handle, which all concern the things which perish perish. With the using according to the commandments and doctrines of men, these things indeed have an appearance of wisdom and self-imposed religion, false humility and neglect of the body, but are of no value against the indulgence of the flesh. And then he goes on in chapter 3. We don't have time to read it, but he says, now this is actually what Christian living consists of. These are actually things that will help you. Not man-made regulations, but the gospel thought through. That's what you see him doing. In chapter 3. And so Paul was combating. And and in reality we, we will combat in every age. Things that have the appearance of godliness. But on closer inspection. Turn out to have no value at all. Man made regulations. In other words I'll say it again. They aren't reasonable. God never asked for them. He never asked us to do these things. You aren't actually serving him. When you do these things. That is things that men ask of you. Or things that you think of but that God never prescribed in his word. That's submitting to the doctrines and the regulations of men. You aren't doing anything to use the language of Romans chapter 1. That is making your body holy and acceptable to God as a living sacrifice. You're only satisfying your own carnal appetites. Whereas on the other hand if we look at what the apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 6 or what. Uh, the Jerusalem council was saying to the churches in Acts chapter 15, when they said this, abstain from sexual sin. Do not use your body to sin. Now that's thinking things through. That's me understanding that my body has been joined to Christ. Not just my spirit, but my body. My body now belongs to him. And I am not to use my body in the service of sin. Not anymore. Now I am living in service to God. And that has immense practical value in living the Christian life. That is the right, that is the reasonable use of the body. Let me give a fourth answer. I'm asking the question, what's reasonable? Let us see that what, this is so important. What was reasonable under the old covenant may not be reasonable under the new covenant. And so we must be careful to think this through. And we find this kind of teaching throughout the New Testament going back, to, uh, going back to the Gospels. You remember the disciples of John said, why don't your disciples fast? And Jesus, in essence, says it's not the right time. You're, 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 you're not living in light of the new reality of the coming of the kingdom. Something new is here, and that's what you're missing. You're not just missing it, you see, in your thinking, but in your practice. And in asking that question, you're revealing that you've missed the newness of what has come. And that's the kind of thing you find throughout the New Testament, especially in Hebrews, but also in Romans and Colossians and Galatians and all of uh, in Acts all through the Bible. What 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 uh, the New Testament, I mean, the the apostles are saying, "Do do you see that something new has come and that it changes everything? And now what was reasonable service under the old covenant may not be reasonable service under The new covenant again we've got to think these things through and we've got to try to do so in a biblical way is what we are doing does it fit in with what God is doing now or perhaps are we living in light of the old reality realities of the old covenant now certainly we can say that the old covenant was a more outward it was a more externalized covenant that's why reasonable service under that covenant was for the priest to take an animal and to kill it and to place it upon the altar of praise that was his reasonable service but do you realize that these were spiritual pictures of things that would come in a more spiritual dispensation that we call the new covenant and now that we live under a new covenant which is a more spiritual dispensation what is reasonable service will look different won't it It's bound to. Paul is already telling us that in Romans chapter 12, verse 1. He's saying, I don't want you to kill an animal and place it upon the altar in the middle of the courtyard. No. What I want you to do is to sacrifice yourself in the service of God. Do you understand already the contrast that he's drawing? This now is your reasonable service under a more spiritual dispensation. Because the new new covenant... Is a more spiritual dispensation. The worship that befits such a dispensation will, of course, be more spiritual with less outward glory. Of course. And this is precisely what we find in the Westminster Confession, chapter 7, section 6, where it says, Under the gospel, when, and it's contrasting the old and the new, and it, now it's saying in the new. Under the gospel, When Christ, the substance, was exhibited, that is, the substance of the shadows and the imagery and and the pictures and the symbols of the old covenant. Now, that substance is set forth in Christ himself. When Christ, the substance, was exhibited under the gospel, the ordinances in which this covenant is dispensed, which, though fewer in number are administered with more simplicity and less outward glory. Yet in them it is held forth in more fullness, evidence, and spiritual efficacy. You see, it's saying two things. It's saying, number one, greater simplicity, less outward glory. Now what was pictured in the symbols of the Old Testament is realized and embodied in the lives of the people. That's the first thing. The second thing it's saying is that greater power, greater efficacy. Now you will experience... What they beheld in the Old Covenant. Greater fullness, greater evidency, greater efficacy. And so uh, I could say that as 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 a fifth answer. But surely we've got to get a hold of the fourth answer. Because Paul is drawing a contrast between the Old and the New. But not only, number five, is Paul drawing a distinction between the Old and the New. But he is countering every inclination we have to externalize religion. Going back to the Murray quote, it is, uh, what was the quote? Let me read it again. He says, it is rational in contrast to what is mechanical. Or we could say it is spiritual in contrast to what is external. That was the fallacy of the Jews. They placed all their hope in that which was external by their birth, by uh, the outward forms of the covenant. They missed that which was inward, that which was spiritual. But this is also, let us see, what became very early on in the church A fallacy that has abided with the church ever since. The tendency, the inclination to externalize religion. Listen to Martin Lloyd-Jones. This is perhaps, I read many helpful quotes and I want to share some of them with you. But I think this was the most helpful. There is undoubtedly a tendency for people to multiply the external forms in connection with religion. People always like something spectacular, something visible. A great battle that the Christian faith has had to fight from its very beginning has been against the perpetual tendency to externalize worship. Now, where do we see this tendency to externalize worship, which the apostles, Lloyd-Jones, is saying and I'm saying we're combating against and so, we're, so is Jesus. Well, we see it in, first of all, Judaism and the Judaizers, obviously, in the early church. They were always trying to point people back in the more externalized direction and the apostles were always pulling back in the other direction. Paul was combating this in the passages we looked at. You also find uh, such passages in Galatians. If you if you went home and read that, you would see that he's combating the Judaizers. There was also uh, many pagan practices that people were trying to bring in. We see that in the Colossians passage we looked at. We've seen that in the church ever since. But then we see it in the development of the church in the medieval church and what it became. With all of its pomp, all of its ceremony, it also became a mixture of paganism and Christianity. Even to this day, that's what you find in the Roman Catholic Church. True also of many Anglican churches. And today you find, let me be fair. You also find this this movement in the direction of many Presbyterian churches. I would also argue it's all that you find in the mainline churches today. All you have is the external form. You don't have the inward at all. And what I'm saying is that we must resist this movement even if it's attractive to us. Even if it appeals to our outward senses. Even if somehow or other it really feels like worship. Because it isn't reasonable. Another thing that Mart Lloyd-Jones notes, and I found this fascinating, and you can tell how much uh, I am depending on his sermon. He talked about how the, the early Christians in the second century were called atheists. Now, why were they called atheists? Well, because their worship lacked all these externalities, they gathered simply to do this, to sing hymns, to pray, to read scripture and listen to a bit of preaching and to observe the sacraments on Sundays and throughout the week. They'd often do so in a home or they'd do it in a field. It really didn't matter. But that was all. There was no sacrifice. There was no outward display. No imagery to behold with the eyes. No festival days to observe. Who could even call this worship? Do you understand why they called them atheists? And yet what they were doing. Was this not the kind of worship. Not only that God had commanded and prescribed in the New Testament. But which befits the greater and more spiritual access to God afforded to us. In the New Covenant. Hebrews Chapter 10 verses uh, 19, 20 and 22. Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, which he consecrated for us through the veil that is his flesh and having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a heart, uh, with a true heart and full assurance of faith, having hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us seek to engage In spiritual worship, which is simple, which is unadorned, which befits the greater simplicity of the new covenant. By the way, and I I hope to outline this in in some upcoming Sunday school lessons. This is what you find the reformed churches doing in the Reformation returning to this kind of worship. Now, uh, let me let me give you another quote this time by John Owen. And this helped me uh, a great deal. Uh, when I first read it, and I, I think I've read this to the church many times, but never has it been more appropriate than in light of this sermon. He says this. This is in his book on spiritual mindedness. He says this was the reason why the church fell into apostasy, seeking to keep up the appearance of godliness and love of spiritual things. Men introduced worldly fleshly attractions into evangelical worship Instead of worship being spiritual and according to the truth, it became outwardly attractive to the unregenerate person and inevitably grew more and more pompous and ceremonial. Now, one of the things I cannot tell when he says that is whether he's talking about the early church in its uh, slide into uh, externalism of the medieval church. She lost her former simplicity and spiritual glory and she descended into this externalism that we find in in the medieval church, or if he's talking about the church in England in his own day, I can't tell, but I can say that in either case what he says is true. This is why the church fell into apostasy. Let me read it again. Instead of worship being spiritual and according to the truth, it became outwardly attractive to the unregenerate person and inevitably grew more and more pompous and ceremonial. Do you understand the danger? At least in the eyes of these men. Well, let me try to put it like this. Rational worship means you always have a good reason for it. Rational worship or logical worship is thoughtful. It's intentional. You don't just do what the world is doing or what the world thinks is attractive or taking the best of the world and incorporating it into what you're doing. That was one of the major fallacies of the medieval church. What does Paul say in the next verse? Do not be conformed to the world. You see how it all fits together. Don't be conformed to the world. Don't just do what you think is a good idea. You say to yourself, well now, what is the kind of worship that's fitting for me as a Christian who now enjoys the greater privileges and realities of the new covenant? There is a new and living way, beloved. Are we making full use of it? Is all that we're doing intelligent? Is it rational? Are we thinking things through? Am I really serving God by what I'm doing or am I just following my own inclinations? And what is the kind of worship God prescribes in his word? After all, the kind of worship we find the apostles laying down as a rule in the churches they established, that's reasonable worship, you see. One of the things that I so appreciate about Presbyterianism historically Is how well thought out. And how biblical the worship is. If you talk to a Presbyterian. Who knows his history. And knows his tradition. He's going to be a man. Who understands what he's doing. He knows why he's doing it. It's well thought out you see. It's rational. It's reasonable. Worship that is simple. And pure. And in keeping with the greater simplicity. And less outward glory. Of the new covenant. That's what you find. I believe at least. In the history of Presbyterianism. Going back. To the reformed churches of the reformation. But even before that. To the early church. Under the direction of the apostles. So then as for our practice. As Christians in worship. We should always be asking ourselves. Do we have a good reason for what we're doing? Is our practice. uh, Supported by sound. Reasons. And are those reasons. In keeping with. The new covenant. And the picture that we find in the New Testament. And, and and for the same reasons as well. Do we understand? This is it's the kind of question we have to be asking ourselves all the time. Sometimes it's the thing that we have to explain to a visitor. Do we have good reasons for the re, uh, for the way that we worship? And do we understand why we worship as we worship? You see, another danger would be. You could have worship that was right, but if you don't understand it, if it's all a mystery to you, then it still isn't reasonable worship. Reasonable worship looks like this. It's sound, it's scriptural, it's spiritual, it's simple, but it's, it's something you understand. It's something that you grasp. It's something you believe in. Another way to put this, reasonable service, is that our service to God must arise from the principle of faith. The principle that whatever the Christian does, if he does not do it from the principle of of faith, then he's sinning, even as Paul will later say in chapter 14. He who uh, he who doubts is condemned if he eats, but he who does not eat from faith. Sorry, uh, he who doubts is condemned if he eats because he does not eat from faith for whatever is not from faith is sin. That's it. Whatever is not from faith is sin. Well, let me offer these closing words. What does it look like? What does reasonable service to God with my body look like? To begin with, we must not despise the body. There's nothing reasonable. There's nothing spiritual about that. A low view of the body is not in keeping with Christian teaching. And so we must use it. We must enlist it in the service and the worship of God. We must praise God with our bodies. Is that not what we're doing when we come into worship? We're praising him with our bodies, with our mouths, with our ears, with our eyes, with our hands, with our feet. Use all that you are in the service of him. I keep saying that, but that's the thought. Don't despise the body. Let me put it like this. If your body is unfit to do so, you won't be able to worship him, will you? Sleepy, sinful Christians make bad sacrifices to use the imagery present. If we come, well, if we abuse the body all week, especially in the service of sin, I'll tell you what won't happen. You won't have spiritual worship. In fact, Sunday will become to you a total loss. Use your body, Paul is saying, in the service of God. But in doing so, I'm saying don't neglect the body. Don't be so spiritual that you forget the body and then fall asleep in worship. Don't do that. But I must remain rational and spiritual in my use of the body. I must use my body to engage in spiritual worship. Again, that's the picture. And so the body can never become primary. God did not give us the body to make us carnal. So we must never cater to the body. That's always dangerous. I'm not saying that. I'm saying come, come to worship fit, ready, eager, awake, full of life. But don't cater to the body. That's not the picture. You see, that's going in the other extreme. God gave us the body. Again, here's the picture. To serve our higher faculties, which are spiritual and rational. So the body isn't an end to itself. But it serves a higher end. And that's what we're doing in worship. That's what we should always be doing. That's what Paul says our reasonable service is. Look again at what he says. Present your bodies wholly acceptable unto God. And in in doing so, he says, you're offering what is your reasonable service and what is a more spiritual dispensation. The priests of the old covenant did what was reasonable then. So you do what is reasonable now. What God requires of you is your priestly service. Present your body ever on the altar of praise. Live for him with all that you have and all that you are. Nothing less than that. That's your spiritual service. I want to close now by reading words by John Calvin. And if you've ever read his institute, you will find... This is just how Calvin speaks all the time. He says, we're not our own in so far as we can. Let us therefore forget ourselves and all that is ours. Conversely, we are God's. Let us therefore live for him and die for him. We are God's. Let his wisdom and will therefore rule all our actions. We are God's. Let all the parts of our life accordingly strive toward him as our only lawful goal. And then he says, "The whole of the Christian, the whole the whole life of a Christian, ought to be a sort of practice of godliness, because we have been called to sanctification." That's the thought, and may we live uh, in this way. Amen. And let us come together to the table.